I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. About 40% of all drugs in the Western world are derived from plants, but challenges with producing a reliable supply inherent with materials derived from agricultural processes can lead to drug shortages as climate events, pests, and plant diseases can affect yields. Anthea is harnessing synthetic biology to produce active pharmaceutical ingredients as an alternative to a reliance on crop production. We spoke to Christina Smolk, co-founder and CEO of Anthea, about the supply chain challenges underlying drug shortages, how the company is using synthetic biology to create a reliable supply of active pharmaceutical ingredients, and its growing pipeline of products in development. Christina, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. We're going to talk about synthetic biology, Anthea, and its efforts to address drug shortages by harnessing biology to produce needed medicines. On its face, this may seem counterintuitive. I think people will think of small molecule drugs being easy to produce relative to biologics because they're chemically synthesized. Perhaps we can start with the role agricultural sources play in the pharmaceutical supply chain today. And How reliant are we on agricultural cultivation of active pharmaceutical ingredients? And what role does this play in drug shortages? Absolutely. And I mean, Danny, I think most people don't actually realize that we are quite reliant on agricultural sourcing for many of our active pharmaceutical ingredients. Uh, We estimate um, approximately 40% of our pharmaceutical ingredients are currently being sourced from agriculture. Um, And the reason for that is that while they are small molecules, their structures are sufficiently complex that we cannot use chemical synthesis to produce them efficiently at scale. And biology is still our best source uh, for producing these complex small molecule structures at scale. Now, as you can imagine, when we rely on agricultural sourcing to produce pharmaceutical ingredients, that does introduce a number of vulnerabilities and risks into these supply chains. Uh, in particular, uh, when you're farming your medicines, that means that during that manufacturing cycle, your production process is susceptible to any climate events that may occur in that region, whether it's severe weather, floods, fires, and we are seeing more and more of that occur across the globe. Uh, the other thing is that um, the the production ultimately becomes very uh, susceptible to variabilities in farming practices, pests and disease that might go through a particular region, as well as geopolitical events. So all of these different factors are essentially continuing to add vulnerability to these supply chains. And in fact, when we look at you know many of the drugs that are in shortage and consistently in shortage, we see that it is often those ingredients um, that are being produced uh, through through these types of agricultural processes. There's a a related complex issue around 
the global access to medicines. How severe a problem is that and how much of that relates to supply chain constraints? Yeah, so global access to medicines has been a problem uh, probably for as long as our uh, you know healthcare system has existed, particularly if we look at certain regions of the globe. So um, for many types of essential medicines, actually over 75% of the population does not have sufficient access to these medicines. And these are medicines that are very basic and core to our public health system. What we're also seeing now layered on top of that is increasingly drug shortages occurring in areas where we would not expect there to be difficulties um, accessing drugs, uh, for example, in the United States. And these drug shortages are increasing in frequency. So it's now estimated that there is on uh, an estimated 50 new drug shortages every year, um, and that these drug shortages are increasing in frequency, uh, now lasting about one and a half years on average. And so this is a problem that is now raised to a lot of many people's awareness uh, when people are going to get very basic drugs, whether it be antibiotics, um, anti-infectives, um, and even sometimes more specialty drugs like chemotherapeutics, they are um, running into challenges with supply. Anthea grew out of work you had done at Stanford University to engineer yeast to produce pharmaceutical ingredients. Why use yeast? Yeah, there's several, re several reasons that we uh, use yeast. Um, we can start with just at the research level. Um, in order to produce these pharmaceutical ingredients, I previously alluded to their very complex structures. What that means from a science uh, and synthesis perspective is that we it's actually very complex to engineer these, and we have to be able to engineer the yeast with many different uh, proteins that are going to actually uh, perform the reactions that will allow the yeast to take a very simple molecule like sugar and transform it into that active ingredient. So the level of engineering that's required is quite extensive. For our products, Anthea is regularly engineering yeast cells with on order of 20 to 30 different proteins, enzymes, transporters, uh, which will then basically assemble within the yeast cell to form the molecular machinery that is going to produce these drug compounds. And that's just to say that we want to then have a, a production host that is re relatively easy or at least amenable to um, genomic engineering and yeast uh, fits that bill. The second reason though, if we move beyond R&D and think about how this, um, this organism is going to produce at scale uh, drugs for human consumption, uh, the other reason we use yeast is that there's a lot of industry knowledge in how to ferment uh, yeast at scale. We use brewer's yeast. This is the same yeast that is uh, in use to brew beer and ferment wine. And so again, um, we've been working with this yeast uh, for, for centuries, essentially. And so there is a lot of industry know-how uh, in terms of how to scale production uh, via fermentation in this organism. There's also a lot of existing infrastructure we can leverage when we do actually then go to manufacture our products with these cells and processes. One of the challenges for biomanufacturers has been the ability to scale production. What kind of volumes needed when we talk about key starting materials and active pharmaceutical ingredients? And what are the challenges of scaling? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, coming back to the point that when we talk about these active pharmaceutical ingredients and these key starting materials, these are very um, core and play a central role in our healthcare system. That means that um, they really are needed at larger volumes because they're going to be used, you know, to, to treat a variety of different indications that occur regularly. And what that ultimately means is that 
we need a lot of um, capacity, a lot of scale to produce the volume that's required for the healthcare system. As an example, um, we've recently transitioned our first product and process to manufacturing scale. Uh, we are manufacturing that product in fermenters that are 120,000 liters. Um, and, you know, ultimately we would like to be transitioning uh, to produce this compound at least at that scale, if not several hundred thousand liters. So these are very large uh, fermenters and very large capacity that is needed in order to produce, to produce the volume that's required um, by our healthcare system. How cost effective is this approach compared to traditional sources of the material? And are there opportunities to take cost out of the process? I think that's a very important point about the technology that we're discussing here, um, because there's a lot of pressure on our healthcare uh, system, a lot of uh, pressure on the pharma industry, drug manufacturers to not uh, continually increase cost of our drugs. Um, and you know, the, the, one of the key things here is that by bringing this manufacturing innovation to the industry, we can actually reduce the cost of producing these critical ingredients um, by a very substantial fraction. And the reason is because it's a much more efficient process. Again, let's take a step back and think about how we are currently producing these compounds. So right now, um, again, by farming these drugs, the manufacturing cycle can take on order of 18 months to over two years. And that's just because of the time that it takes to grow um, the plant sufficiently to get enough biomass. Um, and then you're actually um, extracting these compounds in very low yields, many times um, significantly less than 1% of the overall plant biomass. So that's a lot of time. It's a lot of resources in terms of arable land, water, pesticides, and herbicides to ultimately have a very low yielding process. With yeast, we can actually achieve that same manufacturing cycle with our process in a period of two weeks. Um, and so essentially, and to give you a very tangible example, um, in our recent manufacturing uh, run that's being done at about 120,000 liters, in a five-day process, we can generate uh, sufficient active ingredients, su sufficient uh, volume of that ingredient to produce over 100 million doses. And that's in a matter of five days and then another couple days to clean it up to high purity. So about a two-week process we can estimate. You contrast that with our conventional technology, the same amount of material would essentially take about 18 months to two years, and it would require basically farming about a 10 square mile uh, piece of land with these, um, with these medicinal plants. So again, that efficiency that we gain um, allows us to not just build a more robust, resilient, transparent process, but also to build a process that will allow for decreased cost of our ingredients. Anthea's developing compounds across indications. Is it just producing key starting materials and active pharmaceutical ingredients to sell to drug makers, or would the goal ever be to produce and market pharmaceuticals itself? Right now, our plan is to leverage this innovative technology to produce uh, key starting materials and active pharmaceutical ingredients in more efficient, controlled, transparent ways. And so our customers will be um, Global Pharma, players um, and companies that essentially then produce the drug products from these ingredients. Um, and that's, that's our plan, uh, you know, and that is what we are executing on. There's a lot of opportunity, as you noted, in terms of different drug ingredients, different areas, uh, therapeutic areas where we can bring this technology to the market and add significant value 
um, to the industry and to these supply chains. And so that's our focus. I will also just say, though, um, you know, synthetic biology and the platform that we've developed has tremendous uh, opportunity and potential. And there's a lot of different ways, you know, that this can ultimately be taken and, and continue to add value to the industry. And so I do envision, you know, on a longer term, there's going to be opportunities and innovation, um, you know, and really uh, disrupting more than just the ingredient market. You do have a, a pipeline on your website, although it, it doesn't look like a typical pipeline you'd see on a, a pharmaceutical company running from preclinical through the various phase one, phase two, phase three, and, and marketed. In, instead, you, you run from evaluation to R&D to pilot to manufacturing. Is there any regulatory process that you're subjected to along these various stages? So our process will be run uh, following all of the existing regulatory um, requirements that are in place. And so specifically, when we run our process in manufacturing scale, this is being done to CGMP requirements um, and basically meeting all the requirements of the regulatory authorities. I think the key difference here is that we are producing um, drug ingredients. And as you noted, these are small molecule drug ingredients via a different manufacturing approach, but we are, we are still producing that same compound or that same chemical. And what that means is that we don't have to go through um, the stages of clinical trials that one needs to go through when you're bringing a new drug to market. There's a lot of data on the um, compounds that we produce that exist in terms of their safety and efficacy. And so what we are doing is basically slotting into that supply chain in a very defined manner. And then we, are, we are, dem are developing the data packages that demonstrate equivalency of our product, both in terms of the compound that's being produced, as well as meeting all of the existing specs that are on file with purity, impurity, um, and other metrics. And so then we work with our customers um, to ensure that we have the strongest data packages uh, to demonstrate that equivalency. And they are able to then submit that um, to the regulatory authorities um, to just uh, then amend their filings to to say that they are going to switch over, um, you know, the source of that ingredient. You mentioned earlier about 40% of our drugs are sourced from the natural world. Given the wide range of potential compounds you could pursue, how do you go about prioritizing them? Yeah, a lot of it comes down to back to impact, right? And where we believe this technology can have the most significant impact. And when we think about impact, there's going to be several, uh, several different threads that we pull on there. One is just going to be, you know, we will look at, um, again, uh, different uh, ingredients and the role that they play in the healthcare system, right? How critical are they to public health? Um, you know, and that's going to really um, show up in terms of the market size, right? The volumes that are produced, um, and you know, and and you know what what they're being used to treat, uh, basically in our healthcare system. So we're going to focus on drugs again that play a very central and critical role. We're also going to um, focus on ingredients uh, and drug substances where there are challenges in their existing supply chains, um, and where we believe our technology can add value, much in um, the way that we just discussed. Uh, by providing a more efficient way to produce these compounds, by providing a more rapid response uh, way to produce these compounds, by being able to um, reduce the cost of production of these ingredients uh, via our process, 
Um, and, you know, so we're going to basically fold all of those different factors together. And that really is how we develop our pipeline and then develop the prioritization of our pipeline. Some of these molecules are actually quite complex. You've developed a, a platform for, for doing this work, but can you walk us through that process of finding a compound in nature and then using synthetic biology to engineer it? Absolutely. And so, again, it does start with the compound. Um, and, you know, so you, so we're going to, we will, and our partners, you know, will identify the compound, which ultimately is going to come back to the structure uh, of that chemical. Uh, once we know the structure of that chemical, we can then begin to determine the route by which we will synthesize um, this within the yeast cell. And that is going to take us into, um, you know, a discovery process, a discovery and engineering process. And so what we want to look at is where is this compound produced in nature? What times, what types of plants, animals, um, or other organisms naturally produce this compound or a related compound, one that has a lot of similarity? Um, we'll then be able to um, go in and basically uncover uh, the, the synthesis, the biosynthesis routes that nature uses. Um, and that will basically lead us to uh, being able to identify uh, the enzymes and the proteins and the other molecular factors that are involved in synthesizing this compound in nature. Now, because we take a bottom-up approach, we are not limited to what nature has evolved um, or how a particular plant species has evolved to produce this compound. We will do a broader search and we'll look across you know, all, really uh, most of the natural world to look at how different solutions for different types of chemistries have evolved in different organisms. And then we can begin to mix and match those and bring those together in new ways within our yeast. And ultimately what we're working to do is develop a very efficient um, molecular uh, machinery within the yeast that again, will allow, will take a simple compound that the yeast grows on like sugar and basically convert the sugar to this active ingredient. And so there's a lot of um, enzyme and protein discovery. There's a lot, also a lot of enzyme engineering uh, that occurs with this. Uh, and then finally, uh, from the biological side, there's also a lot of post-cell engineering. As you can imagine, yeast cells have evolved to do something very different than make active ingredients for us. Um, they have evolved. And, and you, know, you think about how we have naturally used them in the um, food and beverage industry. So they're very good at making compounds like ethanol, like carbon dioxide and other organic acids um, that we value in the food and beverage industry. So what our engineers have to do is then take the yeast and begin to engineer it as a system so that we are shifting it and moving it away from being sort of an expert in producing um, you know, ethanol and, and carbon dioxide and make it an efficient um, cell factory for producing these active pharmaceutical ingredients. And then um, we have our process engineers because ultimately, and we touched upon this, we need to have a manufacturing process that is going to work at scale. And that for us at scale means in vats that are 100,000 liters or greater. And so we then very early on bring our process engineers, um, fermentation engineers, uh, to basically work with our cell engineers um, to develop the uh, fermentation processes um, by which we are going to grow these cells in very large bats and have them um, maintain their productivity to produce these active ingredients. And then finally, we have our downstream process engineers, and these will be the engineers that actually develop the process for purifying that pharmaceutical ingredient um, to very high purity. And so they work on developing 
the uh, basically the unit operations or the steps by which that active pharmaceutical ingredient is going to be purified to it, to its pure form from the fermentation broth. All of this is happening simultaneously. Um, and then ultimately, these pieces of the process uh, will get transferred to a manufacturing facility where they will be implemented um, at scale with the cells that our team has engineered. I should note the company has already produced a product. You do have commercial product on the market. What is that and, and why did you start there? Yeah, so our first product that we recently announced um, is the vein. This is a key starting material. And it is a key starting, meaning that it is, an, it is one or two steps removed from an active pharmaceutical ingredient, but it is extracted um, from, a, from, a, from a crop source, basically from poppy plants. So thebane, again, is used to produce, once it's extracted from the plants, it is used to produce about half a dozen different active pharmaceutical ingredients. Um, the pharmaceutical ingredients that it is used to produce span a variety of different indications from uh, pain medicines to uh, rescue medication, medication that's used to treat addiction, um, medication that's used to treat um, opioid reversal, as well as opioid-induced uh, side effects. Um, and again, it's the, it, our process basically allows us to completely replace um, the processes of farming uh, the medicinal crop, as well as extracting um, that ingredient from the medicinal crop. And is the decision to take it to that basic compound rather than a, a, a finished active pharmaceutical ingredient, is that decision driven by market demand? Is it driven by the difficulty of, of doing this through bioengineering? Yeah, so it's, it's driven by a few different factors, um, but there's certainly no engineering limitation on producing um, the final active pharmaceutical ingredient in our um, cell processes directly. So that's not an engineering limitation. We start with the bane uh, for a for a couple reasons. One is that as a key, and I sort of alluded to this, but one is as a key starting material. It itself is actually used to produce about half a dozen different products, um, and then that means that there is a larger volume base um, and a larger demand uh, for the bane uh, versus the specialty product. So it allows us to start um, with a product that's that's going to have a larger volume market. In addition, um, starting with a as I, as I indicated, key starting materials are about one to two steps removed from the uh, final active pharmaceutical ingredient itself. Uh, and so that allows us um, a more streamlined way to have our product uh, into the market um, in terms of uh, just the regulatory review. Um, so it's a good place to start in terms of really demonstrating the value of the technology and the value of the manufacturing innovation that we are bringing to the market. And then ultimately, as you noted, we do have a broader pipeline of products um, that will go into other key starting materials, as well as um, the final active pharmaceutical ingredients. And those will be layered in over time um, with our uh, basically go to market and release strategy. I'm wondering if you've had discussion with customers or potential customers and whether they view your ingredients any differently. I mean, I assume they're identical chemically to something that would have been sourced from from a, an agricultural product. So do they just look at this as a more reliable supply? Is it something that there's any preference for? Yeah, that's a great, it, I mean, it's a great question, right? And, and I think, again, when it comes down to uh, the pharma industry, um, surety of supply, reliability of supply is a big uh, value add when we look at uh, production of ingredients. I can give you 
you know, an example, like a historical example, right? Just to sort of think about, but if we think about, um, you know, insulin, uh, insulin used to be produced by extraction from pigs and cows, right? It, it's a natural product and it, won, it was one that was sourced from uh, nature and animals. Um, the ability then uh, with recombinant DNA technology, right in the 70s, 80s, the ability to produce synthetic insulin um, really led, led the entire industry really transferring over to this way of producing recombinant insulin or synthetic insulin, which was by cloning that single gene for insulin into a, a microbial cell of bacteria, and then being able to produce it uh, via fermentation, ultimately. Um, and what, what, you know, again, the value there is that you have a more um, predictable, a more controlled, a more transparent supply chain, uh, one that is going to scale with the needs of the global population and the healthcare system. Um, and one, again, that um, is going to allow for efficiency and production and cost. And so all of these, you know, they, all of these aspects are strongly valued within the pharmaceutical industry when we look at our supply chains. I mean, it's a very similar uh, value proposition here. Again, you're taking um, drugs that are currently being extracted from natural sources, um, a lot of challenges in terms of scalability, in terms of cost, in terms of agility. You know, we're increasingly seeing these supply chains break down, not able to meet the global demand of our healthcare systems. Um, and by moving to this way to biosynthetically produce them, um, you can address a lot of those issues as well as, um, you know, bringing better margins um, to the industry uh, with generics, especially where there's a lot of pressure um, on, you know, on that um, and also bringing the resiliency that's needed to address drug shortages. And how is Anthea funded and, and how far will existing funding take you? Yeah, so we are, uh, we're a private company. So we are funded uh, largely through equity investment. Our latest invest, our latest uh, financing was announced in 2021. That was an equity financing um, that was a, uh, about 70 million dollars. Uh, so the company, you know, we are in a good cash position, um, and you know, we're leveraging that cash position to really advance our processes and products um, into manufacturing, into commercialization, um, and demonstrating uh, really, you know, the first uh, sales and commercializations of our products. To the market. Christina Smolk, co-founder and CEO of Anthea. Christina, thanks for your time today. Absolutely. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it. <laughs>